And that was the place where I learned about uh, practicing or pressing in on spiritual warfare and saw many, many individuals freed up in their Christian walk because of that. I was on staff with this brother, Pastor Fred, and I, <laughs> I was dealing with a person who was obviously under the influence, not of drugs or alcohol, but he was crawling around on the floor in someone's living room babbling uh, because we're afraid to confront that ugly thing, and yet that's where we get liberated. It, when, after conviction and brokenness comes release and joy and acceptance, and I know I'm accepted in the beloved. That also makes me think of another C.S. Lewis um, statement about how we're so easily uh, pleased. You know, we're like uh, little street urchins who would rather play with mud pies, you know, in the slums than, than go to an uh, invitation for a holiday at the beach because we have no concept of what that looks like. Uh, Jonathan Edwards with the Great Awakening, when conviction would come on Christians, mm -hmm. with the conviction comes not condemnation, but acceptance and joy. You know that you're getting forgiven mm -hmm. and all of a sudden that weight comes off you. This is another podcast for Love and Truth Network. We're so glad for those of you who have joined us, uh, those who, of you who have kind of stumbled upon our podcast, whether you're watching or you're listening. Uh, I'm really excited today to have Pastor John Hawko uh, with us in our studio here uh, and, and just sharing his wisdom, sharing insights. Uh, I am really excited about this particular uh, interview and discussion with Pastor John because it was really through his ministry that God uh, reached into my life and and really set me upon the rock of Christ. I mean, I had been a Christian. Um, I, I had surrendered my life to Christ, but then got really entangled again in, in some familiar areas of addiction, sexual addiction, identity confusion, and was just in a miserable place. Um, I think as any Christian uh, who finds themselves in a place of addiction, living contrary to what the Word of God tells them, I think any Christian who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them is living in a, a form of misery and conflict. Uh, anyone who tells you that they're a Christian and they can, uh, for long periods of time, can live in uh, patterns of sin and have no problems with it whatsoever— um, I think they need to kind of check back in with the scriptures in terms of, uh, is Jesus really their Lord? And um, anyway, today I'm excited to have Pastor John with us uh, as one who walked alongside me, uh, really did um, a great deal of spiritual fathering in my life and ran the church that um, was on staff at the church for 22 years, I believe, um, that I found so much ho um, hope and help and support in. So without further ado, Pastor John, thanks so much for joining Gary, us today. thanks for having me. It's a great privilege to be part of this, and, and seeing your ministry grow is such a joy. And uh, so I'll try to stay on track, because uh, you know I have ADD, so help me out. By <laughs> well, actually, so do I. So we'll, we're going to, who knows Indeed. where we're going to wind up, all right? So uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's something uh, productive. Uh, I know we were praying about that earlier, productive for everybody watching this. So yeah, let's just jump in. Um, people who have been watching our podcast now, and we're we're new, but people who have been watching our podcast are probably um, understanding that one of the first things I really appreciate doing um, is 
as having people share their testimony, share how God met them. And of course, not just the cleaned up version that we often hear in churches, but really, you know, the the depth of where God has reached into people's lives. So yeah, if you want to take 10, 15 minutes or so and just share um, your story with yes, us, sir. we'd love to hear uh, that. Always happy to tell about my master saving me and rescuing me and um, any open door I get. And uh, so this is a great open door. And I come from a, a background mm-hmm. where my my real dad was a a fairly vile individual. He was alcoholic. He was violent. Um, and, uh, and so that had a great impact on my childhood needless to say. And, uh, my mom, after their separation and divorce, um, took me to a good Bible teaching church down in Manhattan, not in Manhattan, in Queens in New York. That's where I grew up, New York city. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I ought to mm-hmm. say this, that I went forward at a meeting at a young age, like, uh, maybe 12 to 14, somewhere in there. I distinctly remember and, and we tend to fall into these traps sometimes, uh, going forward to please my mother. I knew that if I went forward mm-hmm. and asked Jesus into my heart, that I would make her cry. And uh, that was a good thing. You know what I mean? And so I prayed with a person <laughs> yeah. who became very significant in my life later, but I do not believe, uh, as best as I know my own soul, that I was really a child of God, born again. So, when the hippie movement mm-hmm. hit and uh, I, I became a Christian, just to give you the time zone, this is ancient history. I'm afraid most people say, what kind of person that's that, that old? He's a fossil. What he can possibly <laughs> tell me? But um, I was uh, in my third year of college, 1971. I remember even the date. Uh, after being influenced by uh, the sexual revolution, the drug revolution. We were freaky kids. I always say I was kind of a borderline, if not full-fledged hippie, but not really. I wasn't living in a tent, but mm. I was still living at home. But I had bought into all of this. The Eastern religions had swept the country and um, occultism. Mm. And I had a fascination with all of that and was, I think I, I can say I was searching without even knowing I was searching. But I got deep into immorality and sin. And um, 1971, September 19th, uh, Billy Graham was reprogrammed on TV. He was showing his crusade from somewhere and I was captivated. And I can honestly say to this day, mm. the, the, the reality that the new birth is a Holy Spirit work. I remember the lights coming on. I didn't know how to pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I remember seeing him proclaim truth and the light came on. I said, this is what I've been searching for. This man is telling the truth. And I went to my room. I always joke that it was appropriately in the basement of our house, down in the dungeon, and uh, got on my knees not knowing how to do anything, and this was my conversion prayer. God, if you'll show me who you are, I'll do anything you ask. And that moment Mm -hmm. changed my life. I ended up calling the person Mm -hmm. that had prayed with me years before at the church. He became a spiritual mentor and father to me. He was ordained at 72 years Mm -hmm. of age. I called Frank up and I said, Frank, God's calling me into the ministry. He said, I'll be right there. 
Hmm. Never forget it. It came <laughs> all the way to my house from Flushing over into Whitestone where I was living and uh, met with me, prayed with me, helped me sort out what about this book? What about this book about, you know, the, the wisdom of Solomon conjuring demons? And what about this book? You know, and he said, lay all that aside. This is the book. You know what I'm talking about. This book. This is the yes. book you need to live in. And I started to do that. That was my turnaround. My life changed, did a 180, and I've uh, been following Jesus ever since. And um, I, I think uh, there's a number of things that I can add to that that will, uh, will speak into our philosophy of ministry and all of that, because I didn't realize at that time right. that uh, I had some real serious fixing to be done in my life. But I was on the right track. I knew how to turn away from sin. Um, I was heading for seminary. I went to work at a camp um, ministering to physically handicapped and mentally uh, limited children that was started by a man called Uncle Wynn, who became one of my mentors. And he's been likened to a modern hmm. George Mueller, if you know who George Mueller. And for those who don't, yes. he was a man in the 1800s who fed hundreds of orphans Without ever asking for a penny, he prayed down the blessing of God. Yep. So his gift of faith was profound, and this man, Uncle Wynn, was just like mm -hmm. him. So he was one of my early mentors that helped me get a picture of God, if you will. And I will add, at that camp, I met a lovely Christian girl who was serving the Lord, and I married her. Mm -hmm. And Sherry and I have been married for yes. literally this summer 50 years, and God has blessed us. So, Wow. Thank you, sir. Congratulations. A little bit of fun there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, going further in terms of ministry, uh, I went off to seminary, Denver Seminary. First, I worked at the camp. I learned, you know, how to serve. I was serving in my home church. I didn't really know that much, but I thought I did. And uh, as churches often do, they'll, oh, this guy's alive. Put him in there and have him teach uh, college and career or <laughs> lead the youth group. And by the grace of God, I didn't make any major blunders, I think. And uh, some good influence happened on those kids, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, went off to seminary, got trained, uh, spent, uh, I've, been, I've been in full-time ministry 45 years. Um, it started in 73, uh, 76 when I graduated uh, Denver Seminary with my Master of Divinity. Went down to a church in Tucson, Arizona. I'm going to give you the highlights only. In Tucson, a nice yeah. little Baptist church uh, I became part of. I was working with another pastor who, interestingly, was very strong. He was writing a book, actually, on the Holy Spirit's gifts how to use them in the church and all mm. of that. And that fit right in. And that was the place that I learned a lot about warfare. I was in a wonderful congregation, about a third Mexican-Americans that was just a fabulous environment and uh, have always been grateful mm. about that. And that was the place where I learned about uh, practicing or pressing in on spiritual warfare and saw, saw, saw many, many individuals freed up in their Christian walk because of that. And well, and John, that's and I I hesitate to, in, to interrupt you during do. your sharing, but if you can just put a pin there for a moment, two things that come to my mind as you share. You mentioned this other pastor. Uh, was this other pastor yes, also a Baptist yeah. pastor? So, okay. Well, it's interesting because I, I I mean I grew up in the in a Baptist church. I'm now part of a non denominational church and have been around uh, <clears throat> some charismatic um, circles as well. Uh, mostly now for many years, non-denominational churches. 
but I I um, wouldn't think of a Baptist church as um, a pastor of a Baptist church uh, doing writing a book on the gifts of the Spirit or the uh, as well as um, spiritual warfare. Those two things seem a little a little unique to me um, in the in the Baptist arena. Can you? Kind of uh, sure. comment on that a little um, bit. Yeah, I can. I could go off for a long time on that. Uh, actually, uh, <laughs> his his book was low on you know charismatic type of gifts, uh, but it, he didn't deny about yeah. it. He didn't deny it, and so he was a very very good teacher from the pulpit, and he had he had this church growing mm-hmm. in process, and then um, his his I actually still have his notes for his book uh, to this day, and his little grid for discovering what your gift might be and all of that. Well, now there's been many put out, both from conservative places and charismatic places. And there is a healthy balance in there somewhere where where we need to be open to the spirit without throwing our Bible out the window and and, uh, being led astray by false spirits or anything like that. But there is a balance. And so we tried to walk that. And then I was the newbie that showed up on the team, and uh, we had a, a, a mentoring relationship. It was like my older brother, and um, hmm. uh, uh, in that, uh, we started to experience this warfare issue, which I had gotten a little bit of an introduction to from two places. One, my uncle was a missionary, and he had been in um, uh, Hawaii where on some of the remote areas, there are some very strange spiritisms that he had encountered. Hmm. So I kind of believed in that before I ever became a true Christian. And then the other person Mm. was, when I was in seminary, my theology prof, who I counted as a mentor, uh, Dr. Gordon Lewis, he did a course on the occult because he was big on apologetics and theology. That was his thing. And um, very grateful for his training. And he's with the Lord now. Mm. And and so I learned about, uh, from a more... Um, I was in Conservative Baptist Theological Seminary. Now it's called Denver Seminary. And I learned about some of this reality that most churches, conservative churches, don't even acknowledge the reality of the spiritual world. So I got into it, and I I just told this story recently. It's kind of interesting. I was on staff with this brother, Pastor Fred, and I, (laughs) I was dealing with a person who was obviously under the influence not of drugs or alcohol but he was crawling around on the floor in someone's living room babbling Mm. and i i called the pastor the senior pastor i said um this is what's happening um is it okay with you if i try to rebuke this thing you know i mean we were so raw Mm. didn't even realize we're given authority in christ and he went well okay give it a shot, you know, that kind of a thing. We tried it, and the guy got freed up and transformed. And, uh, you know, became a, mm. he was already helping us with worship, but he was freed up from something radical. And it was just a fun experience. So mm. that's a sidebar on that. Mm-hmm. Going back to my history, I, I left uh, uh, Arizona eventually. I know you're still there, but... Um, and I went to uh, my wife's home church in upstate New York for three years, had a wonderful time there. And it was from that place that the call came to me to go to Union Center Christian Church, which is in Binghamton, New York, which, of mm-hmm. course, where your story and mine uh, interlace. 
that I have yes. always looked at as my life work. That uh, God God mm-hmm. showed up in that assembly in such a remarkable way, and we were able. We'll talk more philosophically later, but we were able to fold together yep. not just one area of spiritual. Um, formation which was warfare but all of them and uh, that that's why i believe one of the reasons i believe that assembly was so successful for that season you know and so that was union yes yes, yeah absolutely so that was that was great that was also a non-denominational church technically it leaned a little more conservative but we tried to find ourselves in that very sweet spot where you're and i like to say it this way you're solidly orthodox with the scripture you know you're standing on the truth of the word Mm -hmm. not orthodox in the formal church sense but orthodox in um conservative belief that the word of god means what it says and then being open to the spirit to work in our lives because i know a lot of conservatives are afraid of the word spiritual formation but frankly that's what the whole bible is about is being spiritually formed into the image of the son of god you know drawn closer and closer Mm -hmm. in that reality so that was my second uh that was the big ministry of my life and then after i left up there uh, i came down to help another church that was struggling which happens to be a baptist church down the road here from me in uh the um upstate new york of um where am i i'm in pine bush right now but it was middletown new york uh, harmony Mm -hmm. baptist i had a wonderful time with them and Mm -hmm. uh, that's my my history i've learned a few things over those years yeah yeah, you certainly did. You certainly have. And um, I, so much of what you did learn, obviously, uh, God was even preparing, you know, your heart and your background to, uh, you know, to open up and, and respond to me and my need. And we'll get into that, uh, I think, in a second podcast. There's a lot here to cover. And so interesting how um, I've heard your story before, but it has not occurred to me. Some of what you shared really resonates with me in a couple of ways. One is uh, my my brother, one of my brothers, uh, who's been a pastor for many years, uh, Dale, he um, he also came to faith through Billy Graham, through, uh, I mean, what a powerful, I've heard that so many times over and over again of how the Lord used him. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, Jesus, I think, models for us that uh, he oftentimes doesn't do the same yeah. thing in the same way. You know, there's me- there's me- different methods of of how he um, heals people, for example, and and so there was a season when Billy Graham, of course, God was using him in powerful, powerful ways. And so your story of coming to faith and and going into your bedroom and and getting down and praying—that's exactly what my brother did as well. And and his life was radically transformed. And you know, he's been in in ministry for decades and decades. Um, the and then the other thing uh, that where my my story in particular intersects with yours um, is is I had a similar experience of of um, both praying for salvation and you know the Romans road uh, kind of thing and understanding that intellectually um, and and praying the prayer and actually frankly doing it a number of times I don't even remember how many times I did that which of course in a Baptist church you're like you're once and done you know so uh, everybody was kind of askance at you know why why is he doing this again uh, but I but I internally I just knew like something wasn't taking. I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. And then I remember being baptized at a very young age, um, basically because everybody else was kind of doing that too. And, and I didn't, again, I, I wanted to do what I was supposed to do, but there was, there was nothing of any, um, 
spiritual life that I could see uh, in my life um, the way that a number of years later in my early 20s, uh, you know, even having grown up in a Christian home, uh, eventually even going to Bible college for a period of time. And um, there was all, all through that, I had a form of godliness. I had, well, and I had a whole lot of other things that were ungodly as, to, as well, but, but I had an outer appearance of doing the right things, having lots of head knowledge, but I did not uh, really understand what, you know, God was, was calling me to. I didn't, I, there was, there was a, there was a lot of head knowledge, but the life was missing until my early twenties when I really surrendered my life to God and, and to Jesus. And that was the key thing for me. It was that surrender that actually was essential in, um, in me coming into, uh, true faith. Um, I, I don't know the thoughts about that. Oh man, Master I John. totally get it. And, um, I, I, uh, I've been listening to you and thinking, how do I verbalize this to make it um, a compatible for all of our brothers and sisters, wherever they are on the spectrum? And maybe that can't be right. done, but <laughs> we'll try anyway. And right. I have often said, yeah. a lot of the Christians I know, and I do believe that when we come to Jesus and say, save me, he will. But mm -hmm. yep. I have often said, Many, many, I'm, I'll just be my opinion. This is just my opinion, everyone. Uh, most mm -hmm. believers that I know who are in conservative churches need to have a crisis with the Holy Spirit. Now, mm. charismatics would automatically say, well, that means they need to have this happen and speak in tongues. But that's not what I mean. Although it might happen that way because God can do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. It's about time we understand that you can't mm. lock Aslan in a cage. You really can't. But mm. they need to have something that shakes them to their core where they sell out to God. Does that make sense? Yep. I, I Absolutely. Am a, you, you wanted me to give some encouragement for those who might be thinking about ministry, and I'll do that. But one of the things I, I do speak mm -hmm. to people about is you need to have – some books, some songs, some things that you tuck away in your file cabinet and you don't take them out until you need them. So that when you're bumming mm. and you think God has forgotten about you, which by the way, I've been there more than once, you pull them out mm. and you let the Holy Spirit use those to renew you. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's a book. I have books that I love to look through occasionally. True Discipleship by William McDonald. Um, uh, Life Together by um, Bonhoeffer, you know, and I recently picked up mm. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which looks very boring, mm. and uh, chose to start plowing through it, and I've been highlighting something on almost every page, and here's one of the things. The boldness mm. of the saints was always full of the fear of God. I think the fear mm. of God is so missing true. In most believers, which is why they argue with you yes. about why I should obey this scripture or why it matters or why it's going to affect my spirit negatively. Eh, that doesn't matter. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 That makes me think of, of C.S. Lewis, uh, and I'll butcher the quote, but uh, we've often used it in teaching. But the idea C.S. Lewis writes about, you know, we not we want not so much a God in heaven, but a but a senile old grandfather in heaven who basically yeah. says, eh, at the end of the day, as long as yeah. everyone's having a good time, you yeah. know, Aren't uh, you all cute? is well. And, and that's, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's and right. that's not who God is, right? I mean, he does love us uh, very much, obviously, uh, so much so that he would send his own son to die for us and to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. But it does, um, it's a free gift that we can never earn. And yet at the same time, it also, it, it yeah. requires everything of us. And yet it's such a beautiful, it's such a, you know, we wind up winning, uh, gaining so much in the end. You know, it's the field that the that the, uh, the person finds the incredible treasure in and goes and sells everything to purchase the field, not because the field has any real value, but because of the immense treasure that's in it. I mean, that's what the kingdom is really all about. And 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 that also makes me think of another C.S. Lewis um, statement about how we're so easily uh, pleased. You know, we're like uh, little street urchins who would rather play with mud pies, you know, in the slums than than go to uh, an invitation for a holiday at the beach because we have no concept of what that looks like. And that really does um, uh, highlight so much of my own life and my own history, just his statement around that. I think about that, the joy that God gives us as we press into him. And it's not like we're giddy all the time. That's absurd. I I think of the, um, uh, like uh, Jonathan Edwards with the Great Awakening, when conviction would come on Christians, Mm -hmm. Some of the, the the result of the conviction is with the conviction comes not condemnation, but acceptance and joy. You know that you're getting forgiven mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that weight comes off you. So we're dreading, you know, I, I think of how many Christians like if they're, oh, they're working up to an invitation. I think I have to go to the restroom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're afraid to confront right. that ugly thing. And yet that's where we get liberated. After conviction and brokenness comes release and joy and acceptance, and I know I'm accepted in the beloved. And that's what I think often we miss, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, something else to back up a little bit. I so agree with that. And something else to to back up a moment um, to what you were sharing about, you know, have have some songs, have some books, have something, something that, you know, you, you allow the Lord to kind of use when you're in the doldrums or when you're feeling like he's abandoned you or whatever. And that reminded me of um, an entirely different situation in a sense, but I'm, I won't be, I won't share this in the next podcast. I'm, I'm in the process of, of writing my own story and I'm, I'm sure I'll include this in there, but it reminds me of a time that I was living with a family here in Arizona and uh, probably 25, close to 30 years ago. And it was a uh, fairly young couple, uh, two young boys. And I had met them when I lived here um, in Arizona um, a number of years before. And so I'd been in Arizona several different times. And we were going to the same church together. And um, they become very close friends of mine. Well, not even just friends, but really mentors of mine. And so when I was going through some really deep, deep spiritual um, pain and, and some tragedy in my own life, and I was kind of dwindling uh, spiritually. I was living in New York at the time for a, for a brief season. And I they invited me to come out and just, you know, spend some time with them, heal up with them. And I did that. And, um, and it, was a, it was a very, uh, uh, I had, they provided so much to me uh, in terms of the opportunity to heal, the opportunity to really grow in, in my relationship with Christ. There were some things internally that I refused to deal with that later became a snare for me. But 
they offered so much. And so this one occasion, they were going away for a week uh, to um, uh, on a ski trip or something. And they asked if I'd house it for them. Um, after I'd moved out, I was living someplace else. And I came back and I was, I was doing that, but I was really concerned at the time, um, sexual addiction, pornography, but also even, even hooking up and things like that had become um, a, a real snare for me. And I was trying to get out of that um, mess that I was in and start trying to live differently. But I was really, for a while, was living with one foot in Christianity and one foot in the world. And But I really wanted to, to walk this out, to be in their home and to use it as a sanctuary for, for good, not for evil. But I was really concerned about how I would, how I'd live that out. And they left and I was there and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And, and I, I started feeling kind of hungry. So I got up and went to the, to the kitchen and I opened the refrigerator and reached in for something. And there's this envelope, this little envelope, a little card. I mean, I'm <laughs> probably going to get emotional even thinking about it. And, um, and, and here, um, Kathy had left this note in the refrigerator, um, for me. And, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, this, you know, and I thought immediately, of course, I appreciated it. I took the note out. And I said it, but I didn't, I didn't read it yet. I said it on the counter and I went to get a dish to get something. And in the cupboard, there was another note. And I, and, and so before long, um, every place I turned, she had left these little um, uh, envelopes with a card in them. And what I did actually, I mean, I realized what was going on. I, I kind of just like scoured through the whole house. I went into the bathroom. I went everywhere. I'm, I'm kind of, and so I found a whole bunch of these notes and I didn't open a single one. Because I thought when I'm struggling and I'm going to struggle, when I'm struggling, I'm going to open one of these and I'm going to allow, so I don't want to spoil it. I just want to, to live in the, in the reality that someone loves me enough that they would do this for me. And you know what? I, I went through that entire week and I never opened one of those cards. Um, be, and I, I still have them somewhere. Um, but I, I didn't have to open them because the Lord used just wow. her ministry and her love for me so powerfully that it impacted me to such a degree that it really was a week of sanctuary. So yeah, I mean, so that kind of goes along even whether we're doing that for ourselves or or we actually offer that to somebody else who's struggling. Um, it can be such a powerful thing to have those secret little messages um, that are, are words of encouragement uh, that we desperately need in those times when we're Amen. struggling or doubting. That's a great story. It really so. is. And I kind I think it kind of uh, maybe launches us into the concept of um, um, philosophy of ministry. So maybe we'll just bridge right yeah. into that because uh, what you're talking about mm -hmm. is body life. We're talking about the reality of body life, you know, really being the body of Christ and not trying to do it all on our own, which we love to do or try to do and usually fail, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm thinking back, I'm, I'm looking at two ways. You, you wanted me eventually to speak maybe or have a word for people going into ministry. So, if I miss anything, uh, draw me back, but I'm... Well, yeah, and I jokingly said I'd love to hear uh, a word of encouragement from you about that. More yeah, than just don't do don't it. Do it's a great right? answer. So, that's a great you think answer. About it, right. uh, one brother <laughs> used to say, "If you can do anything else in the world, if you can imagine anything else, go do it." You know, because and and you know what? Um, right. Really, in that regard, those who are sensing a call, God bless you, and pray it down to the ground because. I believe yep. this generation is going to be one of the toughest for ministry in America. I, I, maybe I'm just a jerk, you know, but 
I have wondered how many of our brothers and sisters will have to lay their life down, literally, because of the hostility right. and opposition that you dare to tell anybody that they're wrong today. And uh, and we're not saying yes. it. God is the one who says it. And we're just trying to be the bearer of mm-hmm. bad news, which is good news, if you know what I'm saying. So it's a tough challenge. Right. But um, yeah, there are some things that I would I would recommend. And one of them is making sure, first and foremost, one thing I just read out of a campus, that is the fear of God is a critical thing to me. And I feel like churches have watered down what the fear of God means a lot, trying to make him compatible and a nice mm-hmm. little kitty cat instead of Aslan. No, I'm afraid. Yep. My wife has said over and over again, I fear God too much to go off into radical sin because I don't want the consequences coming on me or my kids. Because there always will be some, right. con- even though there's grace, thank God there's always grace, but there's going to be consequences. And sometimes we have to eat that. So the fear of God is huge and also making sure that I am in this for the kingdom purpose and not because I think guys in the pulpit look cool and they, um, you know, they command respect and, and that sounds like a cushy job, you know, that should be nice. You know, just pray over some people, little pastoral, you know, dust prayers over them and, you know, make everybody happy and feel good. And we think that's our job, you know, to make people feel good and to um, answer mm-hmm. to every beck and call of the masses that, oh, you've got to do this for me. Um, I remember uh, I've had several occasions. In fact, it was while I was pastoring in Tucson, a uh, couple came in that uh, were very clearly, and I don't know where we all stand today because it seems like an outdated idea, but clearly unequally yoked. I had to say, I- I'm sorry, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. And they were furious with me. And it was like the uh, awareness that we're not here to make people happy. I have to be, and I would love to have reached out to them, but they instantly, you know, well, that was the end of that. And, um, and a guy mm-hmm. that showed up at the door of the church and said, uh, you need to help me. I need money, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, found out he was a con and pushed back on him. And, well, I'm going to have to report you. He was so angry, you know. And it's like, I don't know where you people mm-hmm. get these ideas. Well, we get the ideas mm-hmm. from the fact that often pastors have modeled that we're here to do everything everybody wants us to do. But I'm really under obligation to do what God wants me to do, which is a different. There's a yes. difference when you start seeing in local church, well, I want you to do this and I want and I, I need, you know, I want this glory and I want this attention and I want you to do this because it'll make me feel good. Well, what if it's not in your best interest? I have a passage of scripture that has been one of my guidelines and um, and an encouragement to me over and over again. And that's in the book of Philippians where Paul is saying, I'm, I'll just read it. I hope in the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, and here's the line, who will mm. genuinely be concerned for your welfare. They all seek mm. after their own interest, yes. not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You know, I have to make up mm. my mind that my job is to speak for God 
to my people, to his people, not necessarily to make them happy. Now, many times the joy of the Lord does make them happy, and if they respond to exhortation, whatever, that all works out great. Yep. But ultimately, I have to answer to God. And so that that statement, mm-hmm. no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. If I'm going into ministry, I need to make up my mind that my first assignment is to please God and that I need God's best for his people. Yeah, sometimes yes. that's not easy. Yes. You know? Well, and that makes me think, John, of um, I, I often talk about how the seeker-sensitive uh, movement, and, and frankly, I think every church should have a level Absolute. of being seeker-sensitive. Yes. I mean, hello, you know, but this hyper-grace movement, this hyper-seeker-sensitive movement, I think has been uh, an absolute thorn in in a, in a genuine church because out of the best of intentions, out of out of good motivation, I feel like what we've succumbed to as Christian leaders leading these kinds of movements is is more, frankly, and I, people have, who, who listen to my podcast very often have heard me say this uh, and will hear me say it, is I feel like so much of what happens in the pulpit today in many churches is, is really a good TED Talk. I mean, it's uh, with some scripture thrown in. It's not, um, it, it, it's more about, uh, you know, living your best life now. It's more about self-help techniques. It's more <laughs> about um, a little psychology uh, thrown in and not so much really the preaching that flows from a heart of great um, uh, concern and compassion for uh, the people that God has entrusted to a pastor's care. And so, um, yeah, I, and what that ultimately what my concern and Melissa's concern, my wife and and I think yours too, is that um, we we wind up using words like gospel, uh, but but those that same that word means very different things in different places. And instead of um, there being uh, only an authentic and true gospel that calls us to repentance, of course there is that. But then there's also a message going out under that same name that really is, um, it, 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 lordship is not required. Uh, sin exactly. is hardly ever talked about. Repentance is, you know, <laughs> disgusting. It's more of just, again, kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of self-improvement and and you're good to go. And, and that's where, frankly, there's no life change in that. I mean, there's no death and resurrection. That's what, uh, that's one of the things I loved about your preaching and one of the things that was so impactful for me. And I remember years ago, you and I having a quick conversation when I was on staff at the church about how Sundays to me, um, I had come to understand them to be really uh, my kind of weekly recalibration that just even as I worked on church staff, but yet just the the world around me or my own flesh or whatever, it was so easy throughout the course of uh, the days to to for that needle yeah. to get a little bit off, you know, the scale to get a little bit off and and hearing solid preaching of the word of God that convicts me of sin, that convicts me of what's true, what's righteous, um, brings me back into that place where the needle gets back on track again. And I think that's one of the things that's so essential about um, about our coming together and hearing preaching and teaching that aligns with the you're, Word of God. 
other than in, in a way that's different than a lot, not all churches, obviously, but many churches now um, that we hear, we're not, we're not getting Man, that. you just popped my cork, pal. Let me tell you, uh, beside the fact you started to choke me up because I'm so grateful that I hear this over and over again, that when we preached the word, the truth came out. Yes. And you can, listen, Jesus is, I, I asked people this lately. Do you know Jesus's first sermon? Repent, hmm. for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Yes. And all the great spiritual um, divines who encourage our growth in Christ will say, you continue to repent. The mistake we make is we repented when we accepted Jesus because I gave up smoking and womanizing. So I'm all set. Yep. No, you've been stalled. You've been a Christian 15 years. You're still a spiritual infant if you haven't moved forward. There's much more going on. Yep. Uh, you just, as I said, you popped my cork. I, I have a dear friend named Ray, uh, who's my spiritual uh, um, sanity check on an occasion. And I love that picture mm. of resetting the dial, resetting your compass on a regular basis. Um, he said to me recently yes. that m most of the guys, my, my brother said to me, most of the guys that are going into ministry, from what I hear, they're more interested in being woke than being holy. And our desire mm. should be, we so want to be holy. I don't mean holier than now. That's wrong. But genuinely walking with God in authenticity and transparency, right? So that we can't cover up big lies. We can't fall into scandalous sin and then pull one over the eyes of the church people. We should never allow that. But uh, that's yes. why we have accountability yep. and why we need body life and all of that. But we need to be uh, move it. We need to be ahead of our congregation in terms of modeling that. So yeah, speaking of ministry and um, all of that, let me let me just comment on what I think brought the human factors of success at at our mm -hmm. big church, what I called my life work union center. Let me be first clear and sound like an, an older brother who built a large church down in uh, Colorado when I was in seminary at Denver. He said, let me say, first of all, that the growth of our church is due to the sovereignty of God. If he's not at work, mm. skip it. Yep. In fact, I have a little jingle yep. that I, I, you may remember, Gary, I used to write it on a piece of paper and I had it stuck on my wall in my office. Three things are true. One is everything mm. rises and falls with leadership. Number two, yep. without the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to happen that's worthwhile. But number three, these are connected. Mm. <laughs> they go together. And, and yes. the job of leaders is yes. to make sure they're staying in tune with the Holy Spirit so that God's word is honored and all of that. So the human factors. Absolutely. We had a three-legged stool we used to describe on staff there, all, us, all of us crazy characters that were working at Union Center. Mm -hmm. But God showed up in revival power early on in my ministry only because the church was willing to come clean and bury the past. There were some wounds. We had a we had a congregational yep. meeting. Somebody got up and admitted that one of the big wound issues we were just holding on to, we needed to let go. You could almost feel the sigh of relief corporately. And from that moment on, mm -hmm. we started to grow at about 100 people a year. 
it was it just kept happening mm-hmm. and uh, god was working in people's lives so here's the human three legs of the stool well, let me just be before you jump into that. I remember one of the original um, people that had been at the church before I showed up that was there when you came, and um, and they talked years later, many years later after I was there, they reflected on how when when God brought you to the church, they were basically ninety eight squabbling people um, who who you know God drew together and and. Uh, with your involvement and the spirits work, obviously, um, that the church grew and 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 ultimately, I, you know, Union Center hit in its heyday, um, hit probably twelve hundred adults on a Sunday and um, and hundreds of, of young people, yeah. children and kids, right? And so, I mean, really, an amazing testament to what um, God can do. One other quick thing I'll just add is that when I talk about, some people quickly assume that oh, when I talk about seeker sensitive churches or um, talking about kind of a watered down gospel that that automatically applies to mega churches or large churches. I can just say M- Melissa and I are involved in a church that is uh, one of the largest churches in in America. I never thought in a million years I'd wind up there because I um yeah I just typically am not drawn to huge mega churches, but we are there and we are so grateful for them and 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 I am always um, blessed by how so often as as churches do grow the tendency is to is to um edit what you say more to try to accommodate the masses more and and certainly why I think we should be again sensitive and and um uh in full of grace we should not be in any ways minimizing truth and this mega church that we're involved in does not do that. They don't. They don't minimize truth. They speak truth out. They they use the language of an authentic, orthodox um, gospel and understanding of the scriptures. And so, I, I just want to clarify that whether you're a, a mega church of many thousands or you're a church of twenty five, uh, the we can we can either be preaching a true gospel and calling people to repentance and new life in Christ and getting about kingdom work. Um, or we can be watering down the gospel. It that doesn't matter so the size well of the said. church. And, um, and I had to have a few attitude adjustments over the years, to be honest. God says, do not despise the day of small things. The last assembly I was yes. in, I had my little flock, and some were leaning mm-hmm. in, and what a joy. I saw one particular person's life radically gripped. He's going into ministry, and mm-hmm. I just say, thank you, Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? I'm allowed to do this, I think. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> Luther said it was a good idea. <laughs> anyway, um, secondly, okay. and if you have to edit it, it's okay. Um, and secondly, <laughs> don't <laughs> worship the large. Yes. It's not automatically yes. good yes. just because it's gigantic. And I've been in That's assemblies right. that are big, and it's like, there's something not right here. There's something flat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and yep. I just I just rejoice anytime I'm in an assembly where I feel what I'm about mm-hmm. to describe happening. Three things. One, yes. and I think this is priority for those of you who are thinking about going into ministry, anyone like that. If you're called to preach, it is so important that we preach solid, orthodox Bible truth. I hate to say as fearlessly as you can. And as um, authentically mm-hmm. as you can, being authentic, I can't, yes. I don't think I can count how many times P- 
people have come back to me over the years. And, you know, I've got a lot of mileage now. I'm really getting decrepit. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm grateful for every little bit of life speak. <laughs> and when people say, you always spoke into my life. It it touched me. You were real. Um, your struggle, I, I get it, blah, blah. There's something liberating. And I don't know why people in ministry think they have to be this you know tv idol that has no weakness or whatever or they slide the other way and every dirty secret is up for grabs and maybe shouldn't be uh you know and maybe shouldn't be allowed whatever but the point is being authentically Mm -hmm. real and preaching connecting you know what i mean connecting with the word of god I, I think just say it like it is. You know, what does God say about this? You know, Gary, over the years, one of my big issues, uh, because I believe the scripture teaches this, that when we come to Christ, really the picture of, of our baptism is that we're dead from that point on, meaning you're on mm-hmm. borrowed time. So that's why our little yeah. revival quote that we used to have was, here's revival when a person says, yes, Lord, what's the question? Any question, the answer is yes. And so just putting Mm -hmm. the truth out there and letting the saints struggle with it, wrestle through it, read through it, pray over it, whatever they have to do. First, authentic orthodox preaching. And I use orthodox in the proper sense, right? Uh, It's conservative Mm -hmm. belief that the Bible is true. Second, the thing that really won the day, helped win the day for us is we had the following two things. We had... Real connecting with God worship. You know, it was an opportunity Mm -hmm. every week to really look up and feel the Spirit speak to you, uh, you know, draw you up into songs or whatever. And and it doesn't matter what kind. If it's really working hard not to exalt a singer or a band or anything else, but to help us Mm -hmm. focus on God. I think I you mentioned it before. Uh, we can slide into all kinds of showbiz, you know, and I'm not dissing. If somebody's yes. got smoke machines and they're working, yay. But God doesn't need any of that. And, uh, and so yep. being authentic and having a real experience of drawing near to God rather than being entertained, which is the trap of our generation. We are living for entertainment. And I look on te- on the television listings and all the if I may, all the tripe that they're offering to take my brain off my problems. Yep. It's like, this is such emptiness. This is not even worth taking that. There's mm-hmm. two hours I just can't get back. You know, they're gone. So worship right. that was lively right. was real and preaching that is solid. And then because that kind of sets the tone for everything else. And then mm-hmm. having discipleship opportunities in the church groups relationships things like that we had we had an active youth group that i will confess drew a lot of families in that were looking for a good church you know because they had something for their kids but we also had Mm -hmm. godly counseling going on and that will open another door i need to mention godly counseling good youth group small groups Uh, Eventually, we had living waters and all of that kind of stuff. And so people had places to go. You were embraced by the men's group. I know that had a tremendous impact on you. I I love those guys to this day. And 
um, mm-hmm. and uh, small groups that would provoke one another to love and good deeds. Uh, that you know, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. Doesn't just apply to church, but applies to those contexts where mm-hmm. I we all need somebody who can speak life to us. You know, uh, yes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a favorite quote of mine is, uh, and I don't have the book in front of me, but he basically says this. Uh, there are times that the word of Christ in you is weaker than the word of Christ in your brother, and you need him to speak life into you. And that is always That's necessary. Right. So in that context of small groups and counseling offices and all of that, people ministered to one another and people started getting free from sin. They got serious. They started uh, you know, getting freed up from bondage or whatever it happened to be and healed of their emotional wounds, you name it. So those three yes. things, I think, work together to make a healthy church. And, and I'll add one other yep. thing relating to ministry because ministry philosophy f- sometimes, let's face it, pastors always say, oh, you know, it's the people God gave me, you know, and all the people say, oh, it's the pastor God gave us, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're stuck mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yep. it can be in the pulpit that the problem is. And one of the mm-hmm. things that, uh, you know, I felt had to be real for me was getting freed up myself. I have to lead my people by getting freed up. So I went to ministry in Tucson first, and in that church, just like at Union Center, God raised up some prayer warriors. And I'm just going to tell my story Mm -hmm. real quickly because it relates. My father terrified Mm. us as when I was a child. He ruined our lives. And um, I was not conscious of the hate and anger that was buried in my soul and i'm pastoring a church helping Mm -hmm. pastor a church and i had a hint because when i was in seminary another mentor dr don orvis who was the reason i came to the church in tucson um he saw me on campus one day and said hey brother john how's mr sandpaper today Well, that was edifying, and I realized he was saying something to my soul, and I took it to heart, and I recognized Mm. I've got an edge that's pretty nasty. So here's the thing. Some people would think this is totally wrong, but I had these prayer women, prayer warriors in my church, most of whom were female, and one we Mm -hmm. still talk to every month from here to Tucson, and Mm-hmm. We're in a prayer meeting together, and I recognized that I had this anger issue. And the reason I recognized it is one of these girls, scared to death, had the guts to say, eh, Pastor John, you have an issue. <laughs> you have a problem. What do you mean? And when they said, your anger, I knew immediately they were right. So rather than become mm. defensive, I said, let's, you know, let's make a prayer appointment. We got together to pray. I'm going to tell you exactly how it happened. Mm. We're starting to pray. We're listening to the Spirit, trying to hear the Spirit, which, by the way, is our birthright as believers. Mm-hmm. And one of the sisters yes. said, I think it's your father. And I said, mm. brilliant, full of insight as I was. No, I'm a Christian. It's not my father. I'm fine with my father. I mean, talk about clueless. 
There are times we need the Holy Spirit to show us what we can't see ourselves because we are broken. Yes. Total depravity means every... By the way, that's biblical. Total depravity means the total person is not the worst person he could be. It means his totality, his mind, his will, and his emotions are all affected by sin. And total depravity was Mm. blinding me to the fact that I hated my father's guts. We went back to prayer. They're all like, well, he's the pastor. What do we know? And so we go back to prayer and all of a sudden, the woman who's been our one of our very best friends says, it's your father, John. It's your father. And I started to defend myself. Mm-hmm. And right in the middle of it, the lights came on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was, maybe 28, 30 years, of, 30 years of hatred and anger and pain came mm-hmm. pouring out of me. I mean, I broke and sobbed and had released my dad and was a new man. For the first time in my life, I could call him my dad. I'd never called him my dad. He was my father. He fathered me, that's all. Mm. And there was another experience later. But here's the whole point. The body is here for me as well as me being here for the body. And I need to be open Mm -hmm. to the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the body. When it's a one-man show pastoral deal, you're hindering the Spirit of God because those people have more to do. Now, let's face it, not all are gifted strongly, but we're all gifted in some way. And God has called some of those people to do more than just empty the trash cans and do the dishes and put out dinners for the, you know, potluck. I know I'm preaching, but you know what I'm saying? Those people ministered Mm -hmm. powerfully. And like we know, this woman whose name I'll I'll mention in case she watches, she's still alive there in, in, uh, in, uh, in Tucson. She's down, down in Tucson, Bonnie. Mm -hmm. And then since then, other people, one named Kathy and Oneana. And now at Union Center, we had Patty and others. They learned how to exercise gifts. Sometimes I would put them up against most, um, professional counselors in walking people through to some mm-hmm. practical freedom in the spirit. So that's the end of my little yeah, lecture absolutely. on that. But brothers and sisters, those of you called to ministry, encourage the saints to rise up. They're not there to watch a one-man show or a two-man show. They've got a ministry too. Right. Yep. Well, and one of the major roles we know from uh, from Ephesians is that uh, that leaders, pastors, uh, and teachers are there for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And and we have gotten that so uh, inverted and messed up in a variety of ways. I think some of it is because of, obviously because of, it's it's this loop that feeds each other. Um, it's, it's because many leaders need to be needed. They have unresolved issues in their life. And so they, they wind up um, developing expectations oh, that become exhausting yeah. later on. Um, and they train people to think of uh, to to make them to put them on a pedestal, and then and then sometimes that's not what's happening. But people have just learned from their time in the Christian world that this is what's supposed to happen, even though it's unbiblical. And so, even somebody coming brand new into the church, um, maybe without those expectations of themselves, gets put into that into that role and winds up kind of being molded into that place. And so, there's just there's I, I love what you're describing when I think about. Union Center, 
two things that when well, you talk about the three things, there's there's two things that well, there's a third that strikes me. One is um, it, it, definitely the the preaching of the word of God. Uh, the worship on Sunday mornings w- was huge. I th- I think of that, and I think of so many of the different groups: this um, small groups, men's groups, women's groups. Uh, I think of the the youth area. So much of that was about uh, was really under the banner of discipleship. You know, it's really under the banner of of growing up uh, disciples to make disciples and. But then uh, when you you bring the spiritual warfare piece too, particularly you brought that to the church and God used that in powerful ways in the counseling um, uh, ministry to really set people free. So they're being discipled, but disciples um, coming out of the world often have lots of baggage. And sometimes it's uh, uh, bondage areas of sin patterns. Sometimes it's um, ways in which I believe we can give ground to the enemy in our lives where we've surrendered through our disobedience um, to to clear teachings of scripture. Um, we've, we've allowed the enemy to set up a stronghold in our life. And so spiritual warfare uh, has been, uh, now there's oh, yeah. weird, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, so-called spiritual warfare that I, yeah. you know, there's lots of that going on. I'm not talking about that. Um, but then there's a third piece. Uh, and, and and that was where um, I felt like it was later on after I had uh, come on staff and and the Lord had really taken me into another kind of um, area outside of the church of ministry, uh, connecting with Living Waters and Desert Stream Ministries and and bringing that piece and a very intentional kind of piece that oftentimes the discipleship piece and the spiritual warfare piece would would connect to, but it wasn't as intentionally as I think we really needed. I know when I say we, us. I mean in All general in the church it's needed. It's yes. that healing of wounds. It's that that place where so often what I've realized now is it's not just sin that drives me. Of course that's true. It's not just um, that drives me toward, you know, being pulled away from God or drawn away from God or whatever that is. Um, but it's, but so often what, we are prompted as Christians, and I'd ask people watching this or listening to this, check yourself and 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 kind of check the environment of your Christian uh, culture that you've been in. Isn't it true that so often we hate doing some of the sins that we engage in, and yet we're still oftentimes compelled? And what, what I found through the ministry of pressing into these places of, of wounds that oftentimes go back into our childhood— um, the rejection, abandonment, the divorce that happened, and the um, the the abuse that um, that can occur, whether it's physical or sexual or emotional or whatever, uh, the 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 chronic neglect that we've oftentimes grown up with, those wounds don't just on our 18th birthday disappear as we move into adulthood. They we we we've learned how to. They're so familiar, and we've learned how to carry them forward, and not even realizing that there's much of anything that can be done about them. But the blood of Christ breaks the power of sin. So whether that's my sin that I need to confess and repent of, which obviously is true, and and I think many of us in the church are accustomed to that, but we're not accustomed to the idea that the power of Christ can break the power of sin done against us. So those wounds that have been done against us, and oftentimes it's those wounds that drive us to give into areas of sin that we know are not going to benefit us, that we don't want to engage in, yet we choose to anyway, oftentimes is a way of coping with these places of wounding, this emptiness, this gnawing kind of infect, emotional um, infection or whatever. And so that that third piece, uh, you know, the, the solid discipleship, the spiritual warfare, and then that healing of, of wounds, I felt really 
um, benefited the entire congregation in some really rich Boy, ways. I'm telling you, um, you stole my thunder, but you're allowed. This is your show. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let me just comment on that. So this may no. not be um, completely comprehensive, but I've I've learned to divide the counseling ministry, if you can put it that way, or whether it's mutual edification yep. and discipleship, you can look at it on three levels. Now, technically, any of this kind of counseling is part of discipleship. It's part of helping you grow and become a more uh, strenuous believer, if you will. The first one, mm-hmm. Jay Adams, way back. And by the way, one of the big mistakes churches are making today is we're, we're ignoring the past. There is so much history that can benefit us. And I'm going to make a comment yes. on that in just a minute. Um, new, uh, Jay Adams, who was one of the original Presbyterian reform kind of guys, his counseling technique was called nuthetics, based on the Greek word nuthetia, which is, you know, this is right, this is wrong. Do what is right, stop doing what is wrong. How easy is that? Now, it's easy Mm -hmm. as long as you're not in bondage. Mm -hmm. But the point is, as a believer, that's part of growing and being counseled and discipled. You know, oh my, I didn't realize that was wrong. Mm -hmm. I didn't know when I got saved that I needed to make restitution for stealing. I didn't know that. But once I knew it... Mm -hmm. Nuthetics was evil. Easy. Easy, not evil. Easy. Because <laughs> I was evil, not the Nuthetics. I just said, God says that. I yes. need to start doing that. And so most of my life continued mm-hmm. with that kind of growth. I started changing everything, right? That's Nuthetics. That's one dimension of counseling. The second dimension, which was more important for me and maybe too important at times, was the warfare issue. Now, by the way, the oldies know this. The Puritans, they get slammed for so many things, you know, witch trials and everything. Most people take the truth of that and distort it. They've got it all wrong. Um, what's his name that wrote War on the Saints? Uh, Gurnall. William Gurnall, one of oh. the great Puritans. Mm. Three-volume set that uh, – uh, a, a pastor in New York City who's famous, and I can't pull up his name right now, he he insisted those things get reprinted for the sake of Christians. There's a line in there. First of all, if you're a believer, you're going to have to go into the ring with Satan. How simple. Yep. But he also says there's a day coming. When God will free us and liberate us and we will be in glory and no longer will Satan, listen to this language, Satan will no longer infest mm. the saints. See, we get hung mm. up on, oh, are you saying we're demon possessed? No, but you sure are infested. You've got a stranglehold mm. there. The enemy's got his meat hooks in this area of your life and you can't say no to it. Be honest about it. He's beating the daylights out of you. And if you would just learn how to get prayer going with friends and learn how to punch him in the nose, you'd be surprised that he can be made to let go. So use whatever Mm -hmm. language you want. But the problem is the New Testament, the Greek language does not give specifics. It just says, has a demon or demonized, demonizomai. And that can be everything from the Gadarene demoniac, who has thousands of them. If if the story's Mm -hmm. accurate about the thousand pigs killing themselves, there's a lot. Or 
It can be talking about that poor little old lady who was bent over double with a spirit of sickness. As far as we know, she had everything right. else going right in her synagogue. You know, she had all the Sunday school pins for going to synagogue. Mm-hmm. And Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham as she is. So it's got that widespread. Mm-hmm. So we're too hung up about something that doesn't matter that much. What matters is who has control, you or the enemy, you yep. or your flesh, you or the world. So that's where the battle has yep. to fight. So there are, there are um, be fought. There are three dimensions, newthetics, which are easy. But somebody needs to help me. They need to tell me. They need to take me in the word and show me. Do you know God says this is bad to be destroying your body like this? Duh. Number two, Mm -hmm. there's warfare where sometimes we need to get freed up. And there's also this inner healing that happens. And I don't even know what the best, best, the healing of wounds is a good way to put it. I'm going to give you two Mm -hmm. stories. When, when my big breakthrough and you know, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, right? But out of death comes life. Yes. I am grateful to this mm-hmm. day, not that my father was so evil, but that God brought me through all of that because it has poured life into hun- literally hundreds of other people that I have counseled. You know what I'm saying? Hundreds of people have found the same kind. You can forgive. You can release this. It was evil. God doesn't approve of it, but you can be free. So that first breakthrough for me was a strong, it was a demonic stronghold. And I saw a night and day change to my angry responses. Night and day. And I've had to work through a Mm. few more levels over the years, but that was a defining moment. The second one, Gary, was more of the latter thing, the healing issue, because I was into that ministry a few more years past that breakthrough about anger. And I knew, and I know somebody's going to relate to what I'm about to say. I used to say, I'm the king of rejection. I know all about the feeling of rejection, the feeling that you're in a room, two people Mm -hmm. are in the corner angrily talking, and you know they're talking about you. You're sure of it. What a terrible way to try to do ministry. I used to have to run around, are we okay, are we okay, are we okay, worrying about that I stepped in something, totally um, gripped by the fear of rejection, the fear of being rejected. Well, it came out of that household. It came out of my my childhood. Right. Reje- my father was torn out of my life, even though it was a good thing he was torn out of my life, but I've got that emptiness. And um, we probably should mention something about having men and women pour into your life if you're a man or a woman because i i was blessed with much of that but anyway i'm in another session this time with a fellow pastor in tucson who i will love to the day i die and i said i am stuck on Mm. this thing i'm having this feeling and i'm and we're praying together and nothing's happening and by the way many times you pray and nothing happens that doesn't mean it was bad praying keep at it press on and so we kept praying eventually the lord gave this brother a word and said you're dealing with rejection and when he said it i'm telling you gary i sobbed sobbed you know the Mm. yucky disgusting sobbing for five (laughs) minutes easily that is a long time when you're Mm. counting seconds i was 
grieving mm-hmm. this emptiness in my life. And that wound got majorly mm-hmm. healed. And it changed the yeah. course of my ministry. It really did. So that's a hint so good. of those things working together to see what exactly is going on. And sometimes, as other counselors will tell you, there's something physically wrong here. You know, this issue is actually, you need some medication or something yep. like that. So you never know. Yes. So maybe that helps a little bit yep. expand well, that. I absolutely. I think that's that is exactly right. And I hope that what what you've shared, what I've shared, that it does resonate um, in the heart and the lives of uh, whether it's Christian leaders listening to this or. Uh, well, I, I mean, honestly, the truth is we're all called to be Christian leaders in many respects, not to the same role exactly, but whether you're a mom yes, or you're true. a dad, you're a leader, uh, and and we're called to to minister. And oftentimes, um, our leadership, uh, whether it's uh, our fathering, our mothering, um, disciple making, uh, pastors, whatever, uh, is we don't we oftentimes don't recognize that our woundedness, our unhealed areas, are actually um, impacting in a negative way the the way that we actually minister to others, and so um, hopefully this connects with people and 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 right and, and more importantly that God has a plan and a purpose for a way out of that. You, we don't have to stay stuck in those places, and um, we don't have to repeat the same um, you know negative experiences. We don't have to pour out our anger or constantly be under this this cloud um, of of a fear of rejection or whatever. So thanks so much, Pastor John, for sharing that. I, I so appreciate it. And also, it really sets the groundwork, I think, what we've shared now for me to kind of share about my um, uh, coming into Union Center, uh, and, and we'll get into that in the next podcast. So again, thank you so much for being here, and um, we'll see you uh, in, on the other side um, in, in a week out in the second and podcast. thanks for having thanks, me, Pastor Gary. John. A pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. Please join us next week for part two of this interview.